You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. This is A.P. Weber. It's good to have you with me. On this episode, The Seed of the Fay Tree, Chapter 5. If you haven't listened to chapters 1 through 4, or all seven parts of Cascade Rock, go back and listen to those episodes before continuing. Or don't. I'm not the boss of you. In the last episode, Darl and Vin escaped their stalker from the deep and set out on foot toward the Great Tree on their ancient map. In the night, Vin thought he sensed a new, monstrous beast lurking in the woods. Perhaps another uncanny danger awaiting the Halfkin brothers? Before we get started, I'd like to encourage you to go to apweber.com, where you'll find more of this kind of storytelling. That's A-P-W-E-B-E-R.com. And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Seed of the Fay Tree, Chapter 5. It was long before dusk when they decided to call it a day. The sun burned bright above the spring canopy, but even in the shade, the air felt improbably warm. Summer seemed to radiate from everywhere. Tree bark and plant stalks felt warm to the touch like the belly of a living creature. Perspiration drenching his brow, then slumped into his hammock after his oatmeal and left Darl to rinse out the bowls and cooking gear in the river. His brother seemed no less energized for the day's exertions. He awoke in a warm blanket of darkness to a distant crack echoing among the trees. Darl, already sitting up in his hammock, cocked an ear in the direction of the sound. Lightning? Ven asked. Darl shook his head slowly, just as the noise rumbled through the woods again. Sounds like someone splitting logs, he said in a whisper. It's that thing, Ven hissed. Told you I saw it. It's sharpening its claws on these trees. Massive claws. Darl's wide eyes seemed to be searching for his response somewhere among the trees, but he said nothing. Another series of cracks sounded in rapid succession, but when the echoes died down, only silence remained. Ven had once traveled through woods during a wildfire when all other living creatures had fled from the calamity. The silence that now reigned rivaled that empty wood. I should take turns on watch, Darl said through a yawn. Moments later, his hammock was emitting muffled snores. Then held the brittle pebble between thumb and forefinger, examining it. Lava, he said. They had come to a clearing filled with malformed, porous, charcoal boulders on either side of the river. Here, he could see Keldar clearly. The mountain's peak was blunted, he realized. 
what had appeared to be a sharp summit, he saw now to be one edge of a lopsided crater full of snow. Darl hefted a head-sized chunk and heaved it into the rapids. He grinned at Ven. Ven looked warily away, wiping sweat from his brow. We better keep moving. They continued on, at points walking on great sheets of stone lava. Within the first of these rock plains, they came upon a great circular well, wider at its radius than the span of Darl's arms. Ferns crept from the cracks, and moss draped the walls. In the gloom below, a young tree grew, reaching her branches toward the sky above. Huh. Darl said, standing at the edge of the well. Who dug that? No one, Ven said. He looked ahead. The forest was thinner here, the trees younger by centuries than the thick, ancient trunks they had passed through. It was almost as if the lava flow had paved their way toward their destination. As they went on, they found that well was by no means an anomaly. Great cavernous tubes bore through the lava table where old trees had served as molds for the liquid rock as it flowed thickly through the woods long, long ago. Those ancient trunks had since rotted away, dissolving into new life and leaving caves and silos where they once stood or fell. I like this, Darl said, reaching up to touch the height of a cavern's mouth. This tube ran along the forest floor, straight through to an opening on the other side. A circle of light in darkness. Let's walk through it. Then hesitated, examining the blackness with a scowl. He saw no hint of movement within, but remained apprehensive. Come on, Darl said. But then... A shadow darkened the tunnel as a slender silhouette appeared on the other side. A person clearly stood there. The figure seemed to have paused as it passed by the opening. Do you think he sees us? Darl said, and his voice echoed down the cavern. The figure stood still, then brought long, slender hands up to its head. A series of high, reedy notes echoed back down the tunnel, discordant in their eerie combination. Then the figure swept away. Didn't like the sound of that, Ven said. Darl grunted. After him, he said, and tore off through the tunnel, leaving his cart behind. Ven leapt upon a boulder and hoisted himself onto the lava plateau above the tunnel, then dashed through the ferns and sprigs growing from the cracks of black rock in the direction the figure had gone. The forest deepened there. As he approached the thicket, he saw Darl emerging from the ancient trunk tunnel, casting around and squinting in the bright daylight. Darl nodded and set off at a sprint toward him. Ven waved him on and dashed into the overgrowth. After a few paces, the nebula of leaves opened into a high, shady canopy of great, spindly branches. Ven held his breath and listened. The figure couldn't have gotten far.
those same sinister-sounding notes sang out breathily in the woods. Ben closed his eyes, trying to locate the direction of the music's source. A crash of branches and rustle of leaves from behind him drowned out the sound as his brother arrived on the scene. You see him? Darl grunted. Ben held up a finger to silence him. Why are your eyes closed? Ben punctuated his finger gesture more stiffly now. Fine, Darl said, but the music was gone. I lost him, Ben said. Darl crossed his arms. Yeah? Maybe that doesn't happen if your eyes are open. I was listening for him, you oaf. Uh-huh. And how did that work out? Go get your cart. Sure, Darl said, turning back into the leafy greenery. You stay here and keep listening. When his brother's rustling subsided, then crept a few paces forward. The music had been close. He had felt it almost as much as he had heard it. Hello? he said in a low voice. Come out. We're not a threat. He realized that his right hand had involuntarily crossed over to settle lightly on the hilt of his short sword. He lifted it away and raised both hands in the air. We just want to talk, he said to the silence. He tried to think of some ancient words of greeting, something in a fey language. He'd never spoken conversationally in any of the dead languages. He remembered a sort of greeting used in correspondences and mumbled it aloud. The figure virtually appeared, silently sidestepping into view. He had long, slender arms and legs and a slight frame. He wore grass around his waist, but was otherwise naked, save for a mask of bone-pale wood above his thin-lipped mouth. His skin was a woody hue not unlike Ven's own, and the tips of his long, pointed ears poked out from a wild mane of forest-green hair. The person seemed to be frowning in consideration of Ven. Ven spoke the ancient greeting again, and the stranger flinched like the word was a slap. The stranger slowly lifted to his lips a syrinx, an instrument made from reeds of varying length bound together in rows. Then shook his head. You don't have to do that. A roar unlike anything Ven had heard before sounded from the clearing behind him. The leaves quivered and rustled at the tone. The face of the stranger twisted beneath his mask. His mouth stretched upward in a crooked-toothed grin, and his eyes twinkled with hateful glee. At the sound of the crashing foliage, Ben spun around to see his brother barreling through the leaves, his face hot green and eyes wide. Run! he said, sweeping past him. Then spun back around. The stranger was gone. He sprinted off after his brother. The terrible sound of rending lumber thundered behind him as he ran. But when he glanced over his shoulder, the great trunks obscured his view of the creature they fled before. The whisper of the syrinx played its sinister melody nearby, very nearby. He wondered that he didn't see the stranger running alongside them. 
The crashing of the great beast grew louder, closer, drowning out the sound of the wicked instrument. His brother looked back at him, eyes wide. When Darl looked ahead again, he yelped and attempted to stop, but instead stumbled forward with his own momentum. A sheer ledge had emerged before them, and now Darl was rolling toward it. He disappeared over the edge, then managed to halt before he himself tumbled in after him. He now stood before a scene of immense wonder and majesty. I think we found the tree, Darl grunted from below him. Looking down, then could see his brother hanging from the ledge of the largest lava well they'd seen by far, perhaps a hundred feet in diameter. Although it was hard to gauge the distance, because growing from the center of this deep well was a tree that nearly filled it, save for a twenty-five or so foot gap. The well plunged down into gloom, perhaps thirty feet. The tree emerging from the great wall spread out her august canopy high above even the most massive of the other trees in the forest. Off to the right, a fallen pine, long and straight, unlike the local wood, bridged the gap to the flat crotch where the great tree's expansive branches met. Darl heaved and pulled himself up. They could hear that wicked melody, clear and sustained. Neither brother considered their options. They just kept running around the perimeter of the lava well until they came to the pine tree bridge. The roundness of the trunk had been smoothed flat atop it, and rope had been strung along its branches to make handholds. Cross it, Darl said. We don't have time for your fear of heights, Went, without saying. As they stepped onto the bridge, a fresh clap of thunder burst at their backs. They ran, spanning the gap in seconds, to the sound of rending lumber. On the other side, they halted and looked back at their pursuer. Ven felt his face go bloodless at the sight of the great beast. It bellowed a sonorous roar as it reared up on hind legs, much like a bear, towering among the trees, its matted black fur tangled with sticks and dead leaves. The creature's terrible snout appeared to be devoid of not just fur, but flesh even. Its jagged teeth, a wicked skeletal grin. It peered out from this death's head visage with glossy eyes, unblinkingly wide and wild. Then the cruel jaws snapped shut at them, and the monster hunched between splintered tree trunks, its shoulders and round back heaving. The flute-playing stranger appeared beside the creature. Now, then recognized the shape of his mask as a crudely carved wooden facsimile of the monster's bony face. For a long moment, their antagonist stood across from them, without so much as setting foot on the bridge. Then, the stranger turned and disappeared into the woods, playing a melody as slow and sweet as a lullaby. The monster then too turned around, and now, with an uncanny noiselessness, it also receded into the growth. Darl cursed. These great beasts, they got some real taboos, don't they? He said. What? Ben said, grimacing up at his brother. His heart had not stopped racing yet, and he could feel himself shaking. Darl still gazed out at the thick forest across the gulf. The Leviathan won't come near the shore. Stays away from the dam, too, you know. This one doesn't seem to want to come over to our tree. 
Makes you wonder about that flying beast, right? Ven could hardly follow his brother's logic in his current state of fright. He slid down against a branch, itself as large as a trunk, settling on his rump with his head between his knees. His brother, mercifully, gave him a moment of peace. They were in a bind, trapped in this tree while some lunatic stalked the woods, commanding a terrible predator to devour them. His breath quickened and his heart thrummed like a bowstring in his chest. He raised his brow and peered at his brother through hanging, sweat-damp locks. The brute was scraping under a fingernail and only occasionally glanced up to keep watch on the tree line across the gulf. How was he so calm? Ben considered that question. He could never quite understand his brother, even though he knew what he would say before he said it. Right now, he'd say, What are you so upset about? We're here. We made it to the tree on the map. We're halfway done with our errand. Ben found his breathing had slowed. His heart settled. He lifted his head and, for the first time, took stock of where they were. Darl, he said in awe. Look. The place where the massive branches met, at the edge of which they now stood, a flat gazebo of sorts, or bower, had been carved or cultivated nearly as wide as the tree trunk itself. In the center of this sheltered place, a mass of sprigs grew up, twisting around each other and forming the shape of a woman in such astounding detail that there was no doubt they had once again found themselves in the temple of a goddess. Then recognized her. It was her, the goddess who summoned him. She stood, hands cupped before her, wicker fingers holding what looked like a fist-sized acorn. My treasure is priceless, Ven whispered in reverential recognition. He heard his brother exhale heavily beside him. I was worried about that. Oh well, I guess we snatch it and go. Ven held up a hand. Don't touch it, he said, stepping cautiously toward the idol. That's what you said last time, Darl muttered. Then ignored him and began slowly circling behind the wicker figure, casting about here and there. What are you doing? Darl said. When he came to the edge of the temple, a cleft between two branches, he stopped. You find something? Darl said. Stairs. The steps curved down, carved into the outside of the tree's trunk. Stairs? Darl said, approaching from behind. To real treasure, you think? I doubt it, Ven said. She doesn't seem like the type to care for such things. Oh, Darl said. Then, then why go down? I need to talk to her. Darl cursed. The stairs curved down around the great trunk like clusters of tree fungi, or so Darl thought. He watched his brother step onto the first platform and, with barely noticeable hesitation, begin the descent into the lava well. Darl wondered at this momentarily, then followed after his brother. Ven's sudden obsession with this tree goddess irked him. His zeal even overpowered his fear of heights, a hang-up Darl often tried to get him to overcome by nudging him into situations that forced him to face it. But now, just like that... He has no problem with these high, narrow stairs. What's with all the bravery, and without any real treasure to show for it? 
Darrell groaned with dissatisfaction, a signal to his brother that he had a complaint Ven would have to pry out of him. Then an argument would ensue. They'd clear the air, and eventually, Ven would feel bad for some insult, so he'd defer to Darrell on the matter they had been arguing about. But Ven didn't take the bait, and they reached the bottom in silence. Here, at the well's floor, leaves, some as big as Darrell himself, blanketed the ground in various stages of decay. Their boots crunched on the brittle ones and fell silent on the soft. Even in the shade, that unaccountable heat still raised sweat on their brows. Ben bent near the tree's base, throwing aside big, crumpling leaves. He began scratching in the earth. This ritual Darl did not understand, nor did he much care to understand it. He turned his back to his brother to have a good look around. The walls of the lava well stretched up, textured with the indentation of ancient bark. This gave moss, ferns, and mushrooms ample purchase to establish themselves clinging against the stone. At the base of the well, a cave sloped down into darkness. Darl sauntered over to examine this peculiarity and discovered it was not the only such passage. The opening of these caverns towered well above his head. He turned to see his brother digging into the earth between the cleft of two jutting roots. He cocked his eye back at the cave. Oh, he said, his voice echoing into the darkness. I think these were the roots of the old tree. Big. Ben did not reply, but straightened up and turned around. He was holding a strand of what looked like a translucent worm, brushing off dark, clinging earth and eyeing it with what was clearly well-studied interest. I've never seen one quite like this, he muttered. It seemed to glow with life before I plucked it. All right, Darl said disinterestedly. What now? Then bowled up the worm and ate it. He then leaned against the trunk, his eyes searching the empty space between them, as if following the flight of an invisible insect. He slid down and sat with his back against the bark, lids now sagging. Uh, Darl said. So? He stopped short. Glassy vacancy peered out from the narrow crescents of Ven's eyes. He appeared to be in some sort of trance. Great, Darl said, turning back to the caverns idly. He paced along the lava wall, annoyance percolating in his gut. What in all possible hells was his brother doing? Communing with trees? Out here? And for what? Why does he care about the concerns of this derelict goddess? What has she ever done for him? Ven spent all his time tamping down the ambitions of everyone in the band, trying to keep anyone from making waves and preventing the halfkin from greatness in the process. It would be insufferable if Ven wasn't squashing his own hopes and dreams as well. He loved Lizzie, that much was clear, but he never so much as attempted a casual conversation with her. But now, out of nowhere, he's obsessed with this tree lady. So obsessed, he'd trek all the way out here, dragging Darl along with him, knowing full well there was no promise of actual treasure, no reward. It was irresponsible. Stupid. Darl heard a leaf crinkle from somewhere in a nearby well. He stopped pacing and held his breath to listen. That's when the attack came. 
Out from the cavern opening, a hideous creature emerged on all fours, as big as a horse, fleshy pink and wrinkly with sagging, pale skin. Great yellow bucked teeth, top and bottom, jutted out from its jowly, bristling snout below a broad, flat nose that twitched and flared with searching sniffs. It turned its head to regard Darl blindly, its eyes tiny black and sightless. Then Darl saw the creature's rider. The figure reminded him of their antagonist in the forest above, long limbs and slender. His skin, hair, and eyes, though not the same as the one above, held the sort of coloring associated with flora, not fauna, the woods personified. His face burned with ugly contortions of hatred as he spurred the naked beast to charge Darl. Darl read the movement ahead of his attacker and rolled away. Leaping to his feet again, unfalteringly, he sprinted toward his helpless brother. The blanket of leaves between Darl and Ven burst upward in a shower of debris as another naked monster appeared from some hidden egress below, cutting off his course. Darl juked right, but spun left around the striking beast, its bucked teeth clacking with a sickening crack against the lava stone. When he reached his brother, he turned to find a third mounted rider had also arrived on the scene. All three converged on the cleft between the roots where Ven slumped against the bark. Darl knelt down beside his brother, looping his arms around his shoulders to pick him up. It must have been a comical sight, for the riders all began to laugh mockingly as they closed in on their victims, the yellow teeth of their mounts clicking with rage. Darl cursed and let his brother slump down again. When he stood, his enemy's laughter abruptly ceased, and the naked beasts faltered uncertainly. Their hesitation was of a sort experienced by many a foe of Darl's. That terrible moment of realization that this was not some large lumbering oaf, but a true agent of death. They saw now that Darl had not merely been trying to fruitlessly carry off his brother. He had been arming himself. Darl, wielding his brother's short sword and a terrifying, deadly countenance, bellowed a savage cry and lunged. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Weep Bar. Music help from the incomparable Mackenzie Stubbard. Please consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You'll find more stories like this one at apweber.com. In any case, please join us again next time for more lies and half-truths. Bye.